Well, church family, we, uh, we, we love to worship the Lord in a variety of different ways, and one of those ways is through the study of His Word, God's Word. So I'm going to invite you to take your Bible, if you wouldn't mind, join me in the book of Galatians again, in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 3. If you need a Bible this morning, Charlie's in the back, and he can share one with you in case you got out of the house without that. It'll be of some help, and there's a little note page in your bulletin also. It looks like this. If you grab that, um, I think it'll provide some direction and maybe a place for a note or two. And church family, our ongoing verse-by-verse explore of the book of Galatians brings us today to the section in Paul's letter where we are going to find one of the most amazing, incredible, astounding, impossible to ever fully comprehend, life-changing, eternity-impacting, and however many other terms I could figure out to come up with, a verse that is really, really, really amazing. It's verse 13 of Galatians chapter 3. And here's how it reads. Tell me if this is not incredible. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Is that worth an amen? Yes. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Let's read it aloud together right off the screen. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. Verse 13 and the larger section of verses that it is a part of, verses 10 through 14, bring the cross of the Lord Jesus into view for us in a way that is today truly powerful and personal and almost impossible to comprehend. As you take a look at that little note page that we've provided you with, verses 10 to 14 uh, bring into our view today the necessity of the cross of Jesus, the why we need the cross. They reveal the, the cost of the cross of Jesus, the cost to Jesus himself and to God the Father. And they also allow us to see the results that come because of Jesus' death on the cross. And so we just cry out, open our eyes, Lord Jesus. We want to see your cross today. Amen and amen. Let me read the verses for us. You follow along uh, in your Bible. Verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that... In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. There is a lot for us to work with here today. Now, the Apostle Paul, if you recall, is writing these words to dear friends that he had personally introduced to faith in Jesus about a year and a half before this. Since that time, false teachers known as Judaizers have come into the region of Galatia and they've been confusing Paul's friends by presenting a corrupted gospel. 
We know what the true gospel is. We've been talking about it uh, for eight weeks prior to this. The true gospel is who Jesus is and what he has done, appropriated into my life by grace through faith in Jesus. That's the true gospel. Who Jesus is, what he has done, appropriated into my life by grace through faith. We've shortened that all up into a single statement, an equation, if you will, in which that reads like this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything that matters in our life, right? That's, that's, that's the true gospel. The Judaizers say to the non-Jewish Galatians, no, 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 true salvation, having a present and a future with God is through faith in Jesus plus being diligent to practice the ways, the traditions, the customs, the rules, the laws of the Jews. So it's Jesus plus the law of Moses. That's what saves you. That was the message that they were presenting to the Galatians. Well, Paul, of course, will have none of that because that is a false gospel. A condemned to hell sinner trying to work his or her way into a place of approval and acceptance with God by being a diligent law keeper, a rule keeper. Well, that's a false gospel. The true gospel is being corrupted and now it's based on what I do and not on what Jesus has already done for me. And so Paul writes the Galatian letter to his threatened friends to show them why the true gospel and true biblical Christianity has to be by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, with nothing else added. That's the reason for the letter. Paul's foundational declaration of this truth can be found in a single verse. Chapter 2, verse 16, which we've already shared together. But in this verse is the book of Galatians in a single single verse. Look again at it with me. We know, says Paul, we know that a person is not justified. And we've learned that that word means to be pronounced fully righteous and not guilty before a holy God. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through what? Through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Could it be more clear than that? Paul then, after saying this, he sets out to prove why this statement is true. He reminds the Galatians in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3 that their own experience, their own salvation experience supports the truth of verse 16. They didn't enter into a personal relationship with God by working their way into it a year and a half earlier. They simply believed God's promise of forgiveness of sin and salvation through faith in Jesus. And that brought them into a relationship with a holy God. That's how they began their Christian life. But now the Judaizers are telling them that they need to do more. They need to do the law of Moses to be saved. And Paul says, no, no way, time out. And so next he turns to the Old Testament scriptures to bring in more proof, more support. And so in chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, which we looked at last time, last Sunday... 
Paul reminds his friends that even Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, I mean, you could not get more Jewish than Abraham. Even he only ever had a relationship with God that was based on faith, never by doing rules or, or performing good deeds in order to win God's acceptance. Verse 6, Abraham believed God. And his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And it was a master stroke by Paul to, to bring Abraham in because the Judaizers, they highly esteemed Abraham. And so to use him as part of the argument for faith, well, that was a great, a great thought. God credited, remember that? Credited to Abraham's life the status of not guilty, justified, fully righteous before him solely on the basis of Abraham's belief in the promises that God had made to him. He believed in God, but more than that, he believed God. Do you remember last time? There's a difference. There's a distinction. A lot of people believe in God, but the real thing is, do I believe God? Well, he believed God. And that faith in God's promises was counted to him as if he was a fully forgiven justified, righteous man before God. No works, no performing, just faith. And so it was a powerful, powerful rebuttal to the Judaizers' work-based gospel. Now, Paul sets his sights on the Old Testament law. It was through Moses that God had given his law, his ways and his rules and his commands. The Judaizers were telling the Galatians that they must obey the law of Moses diligently, like devoted Jews were doing if they really wanted to be saved. You can believe in Jesus, that's good, that's okay, but boy, you better keep the Old Testament law of Moses, do the law of Moses with great devotion. And, and when we think of the law of Moses, we need to think larger than the Ten Commandments. Certainly the Ten Commandments are included, but there was a host of other uh, regulations and, and uh expectations that God set forth in that. And the Judaizers said, hey, if you do the law well enough, well, then God will accept you. You'll earn your place in heaven. It's Jesus plus the law equals salvation. That's a false gospel, yes? False gospel. And so Paul writes and he says, no, no, verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a what? They're under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, if you pack around in your Bible or your purse a pen or a pencil or a highlighter so that you can can take notes and write in your Bible, which I heartily encourage, you want to circle or underline or highlight that word rely in verse 10. Notice right away that, that Paul is not saying that those who love and follow Jesus don't care about or need or obey the commands of God or, or desire to do what God's word says. He doesn't say, hey, you're a Christian now, and, and so you can do anything you want since Jesus died for your sins. You can lie, you can cheat, you can steal. Paul's not advocating that. Of course, as followers of Jesus, we would take seriously God's law. It reflects his heart. It reflects his character, his nature. So we care about the law, but, but we don't rely 
on the law and its ability to be kept consistently so that we somehow earn our salvation, our acceptance before God. But that's what the Judaizers were saying. Keep the law, do it really, really well, and God will love you. He'll want you. For Paul in this moment, as it relates to his friends and their understanding of the true gospel and what it means to be living in a relationship with God, the critical question on the table is not whether you're a law keeper or whether you're a law breaker. The critical question is, are you a law relier? You follow that? That's the question. Are you, are you law relying as a way to uh, have a relationship with God. If you are, Paul says, then you really want to be careful because you are under a what? You're under a curse. All those who rely on the law are under a curse. See, it's one thing to say, I'm living a God-honoring life as the Holy Spirit enables me. I'm trying to do that. And we should do that. We should be trying to live a God-honoring life as the Holy Spirit enables us. But it is a very different thing to say, I am relying on my God-honoring life to make me fit to stand before a holy God someday and, and with, the, with the hope that somehow he'll be pleased with me and he'll want me and he'll accept me and welcome me into his heaven. It's very, very different, isn't it? And yet, sadly, that is how millions, even billions of people are thinking about God and living out their lives right now. They are believing and living out a false gospel. If I, if, if I just do enough of the things God wants, he'll accept me, I hope. Right? That's a false gospel. You know, last Sunday, I had someone come up to me after second service, and they were crying. It was an elderly person. And they were crying, and, and they said, Tim, I am so grateful for this series. I have known for much of my life that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. But I live, I have lived like I have to earn God's approval to be loved by him. And I am so tired, and I don't want to do that anymore. And our study of the book of Galatians tells me I don't have to do that anymore. Man, that was a moment for me. It happened right here on the platform. That, that was it. The whole series, just if it was only for that one person, then great. Oh, that we would all get that, right? That we would all get that. Now, thinking of Jesus' death on the cross, which this person referenced, it brings us back into verse 10 one more time. And it reveals something here, uh, the first major thought there on your note, note page, and that is we want to talk about the necessity of the cross of Jesus. Paul says in verse 10 that anyone, including all of the rule-keeping Judaizers, who rely on law-keeping to save them are under a curse. Again, verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. We all need the cross of Jesus because none of us keeps all the things written in God's law perfectly. Agreed? Is anybody who does that? Not a single hand, and I'm not at all surprised. The net result of our inability to not 
to all the things written in God's law is that we are under, what is it again? We're under a curse. Now, we're not talking here about some some hocus-pocus kind of a thing. We're not talking about a, a voodoo kind of a curse. We're, we're not talking about some Hollywood curse of the mummies kind of a curse. When the Bible uses this word, it is thinking of something infinitely more serious. The curse of the law involved being under the weight of the most severe judgment and condemnation of a holy God whose will has been violated, whose commands have been broken, and whose wishes are ignored. The word cursed literally means to be doomed to destruction, to be damned. It means one more, and it means one more thing as well, but I'm going to hold back on that and bring that up in just a second. Paul says, listen, my Galatian friends, if you're going to rely on law keeping to save you, you better keep every single law of God perfectly, never failing even once, or you are in deep, deep trouble. Because God isn't just expecting a good effort out of you. He's not just looking for a, an 80% good performance rating. He is expecting what? Perfection. That's what verse 10 says. He is, he's expecting perfection. He's perfect. He's holy. He's without sin. And he expects that. If we're going to have a relationship with him that lasts forever by relying on our own effort to keep his commands and his laws, well, then it better be on our part a flawless performance. Otherwise, a terrible curse is upon us. Paul quotes the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26, to back up his statement. That verse reads like this. It is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them and all the people shall say what? Amen. What does amen mean? Let it be so, right? Let it be so. But they couldn't do it. This is what God's desire was, but they couldn't do it. And neither can we because we possess sin nature. We were born with a sin nature. So why would holy God give his law through Moses to his people if he knew they couldn't keep the law? What's the answer to that? Well, the law was given to show us just how much we need need Jesus. We need someone outside of ourselves to take that curse. The law was intended to reveal our sin, never to, to enable us to somehow lift the curse. Let me give you an illustration of this. Uh, this, is my, this is my granddaughter's coloring book, and we keep these on hand when they come up. One of the things, uh, she's two years old, and she, she loves to sit at the kitchen table, and we pull out the coloring, the, color, the crayons, and, and she colors. And she'll do this for an hour or more. And, and uh, we all know how coloring books work. You, you have a pen and ink outline, and then you fill in um, the outline. And, and so she creates these Da Vincian kinds of artwork, uh, you know, uh, and and she she knows a little bit. She understands a little bit about those lines, but she doesn't understand how to stay in them. And so when she comes and she colors, see, this is what it looks like. This is 
This is how it goes for her. And you know what? To no one's surprise, it goes like that. Because we don't expect a two-year-old to, to really understand how to stay in the lines. Well, here's the thing. God has given us his divine outline, his law. And the problem is, because of our sin nature, we can't what? We can't stay in the lines. And when God's standard is perfection, you don't have to stray outside of the line very far to be out of the line, right? It's what Romans 3.23 declares, for all have what? Sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We could say that another way. We have all colored outside the lines <laughs> and, and, and fallen short of God's expectation for us in his law, in his word. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 10. None is what? Righteous. No, not one. So the Holy Spirit through these verses is declaring the universality of sin in the life of every person on the planet. Our inability to stay in the lines. And as a terrible consequence of that, every one of us, everyone in the world, is under a what? A curse. And that's why Paul says, how crazy to think anyone could have a personal relationship with a holy God by trying to be a good law keeper relying on the law. Verse 11, Paul pulls in a second Old Testament passage to strengthen the argument. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by what? By faith. And here Paul quotes the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. Chapter 2, verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Now in that passage, we won't turn there, but in that passage, God is pointing out to his people Israel that there was a godless enemy, the Babylonians, who were completely trusting in themselves. They're the, the soul that's puffed up. And God was saying to his people, not so with you. You trust me. You rely on me. You put your full faith in me and I'll take care of you. Paul's point, those who are made righteous in his sight are made so by faith in someone outside of themselves. Those who trust themselves are cursed. And then he calls on yet a third Old Testament passage, this time out of the book of Leviticus, chapter 18, verse 5. When was the last time you did your quiet time in Leviticus? Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while for me too. Verse 12. But the law is not of faith, Paul says. Rather, the one who does the law shall live by the law. In Leviticus 18, 5, God says, Israel's, Israel, my people, if you can keep my commands, you will live. But you have to keep them all, and you have to keep them perfectly. Well, we already observed no one can do that, which means no one can expect to experience life with God by rule-keeping. What Paul has essentially done in these three verses is show how justification by law and justification by faith are at two ends of the poles. They're, they're, they're absolutely uh, mutually exclusive. 
On the bottom half of your note page, there on the front, I've listed just a few of the radical differences between life lived under the law and life lived by faith in the cross of Jesus. We won't expand on them. We'll just just observe them. The law says, do this and this and this, only we can't, and we're never done. We're never done trying, right? It's always one more thing to try to do. The true gospel says, believe God through faith in Jesus' cross, and everything else has already been done. You don't have to do anything. Exercise your faith. The law requires more than we can possibly give. The true gospel gives us more than we ever deserved. Isn't that great? The law says, do the rules and then you can live. The true gospel says, admit you can't do the rules and live fully by faith. Yeah. And, and just your responses lets me know you're getting this. You are definitely getting this with me. In, in short, church family, there are two choices that the God of the universe has set before a sin-infected world. Live under a curse while you seek to impress God through your performance or live by faith in the work that God through Jesus has already performed on the cross when he bore the curse for you. So it's life by performance or life by faith. Which do you choose? Boy, that's really hard, Pastor Tim. Let me think about that. You know, all of this uh, that we're talking about it just brings us back to a place we've been many times over the years together. And it's just, again, the recognition of the difference between empty religion that is meant to impress God and meaningful eternity-changing relationship with God that comes through faith. Religion is rules. Religion is performance. And with that comes a lifeless, burdensome, enslaving uh, experience. There's no joy in it. But when there is relationship with God that is based on faith, man, that is hope-filled, that is freeing, that is liberating, and it is full of life. And we certainly want to declare in this moment, that the law of God is good. It comes from God, so we know that it is good, even though it places us under a curse. We know it's good because it reveals how absolutely necessary the cross of Jesus is, now and forever. The law exposes our utter helplessness, our hopelessness, but God has made a way. And that's precisely what Paul sets in front of us in verse 13 a remedy for the curse, and it's outside of ourselves. We come to understand more fully in verse 13 the incredible cost associated with the cross of Jesus. If you flip your note page over, that's where we're headed. What did it cost for Jesus to lift that curse off of my life and credit to me God's righteousness? What did it cost Verse 13, one more time. Can we read it aloud one more time? Would you do that with me off the screen? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now, the first key word in verse 13 after the word Jesus is what word? It's the word redeemed, yes. Now, what does that word mean? 
redeemed. Now, this is a beautiful word in the New Testament scriptures, and it it appears many different times. Redeemed. It's a word that Paul borrowed from the slave market of his day. This word described how in ancient times, every day, human beings were bought and sold at the slave market, placed on the block, and auctioned off for a price. Whatever the buyer paid for the slave was called the redemption price. And that's the, Paul, that's the word that Paul uses here. Well, we've already seen how we are slaves to sin, born with a sin nature, unable to keep the law of God perfectly. Our sin has made it impossible for us to do that. And therefore, our enslavement to sin comes with a terrible price tag attached to it. And that is the curse. Condemnation, judgment, the wrath of the holy God. The only way a slave could be set free was if someone would pay the redemption price in Paul's day. If someone wanted to get a certain slave free, they would have to pay that redeeming price. And then in one instant, the slave could step down off the block and be totally free. The word that was used to describe that transaction was redeemed, redemption. It literally means to pay the price to set someone free. And so this is the picture that Paul brings into this moment. This is the picture that he sets before the Galatians to to describe what has happened to them through their faith in Jesus and his death on the cross. When you and I or Paul and the Galatians were standing on the block, slaves to sin, a curse upon us, God through Jesus did what? Redeemed us. He paid the price that sin demands, death to set us free. Jesus will say this in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a what? As a ransom for many. Same idea connected to the word redemption. A ransom. He's going to be that for us. How did that transaction go down? Well, verse 13 tells us Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by what church family by becoming a curse for us, just as it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So how did the transaction go down? Jesus became our curse for us. Now, earlier I mentioned that when we see this word curse, we need to think severe judgment, condemnation, doomed to destruction. But I said there was one other aspect to this idea of the curse that I would save. Well, that other idea associated with the curse was that the one who was cursed was forsaken. They were rejected. They were abandoned. Those words are attached to the word curse. So Paul says, Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And then he quotes yet another Old Testament verse, Deuteronomy chapter 21. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now, because Paul includes this Old Testament reference, we are better able to understand what the cross cost Jesus. Here's the fuller passage 
from which Paul borrows. And this is God who is speaking through Moses to the people of Israel. Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23. If a man guilty of a capital offense is put to death and his body is hung on a tree, you must not leave his body on the tree overnight. Be sure to bury him that same day because anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. The way it worked in ancient Israel was that when someone committed a sin that deserved the death penalty, that person would die for that sin committed, and usually they would die by being stoned. Now, this sounds brutal, but this is the way it was. And then what would happen after that person was stoned is the people would take that lawbreaker's dead body now and they would put it on a pole or they would lash it to a tree in a public place. And it would remain there all day. It would hang there on the tree because this was one who had committed shameful, wicked sin and that deserved to be exposed. But they were now also viewed as being forsaken, rejected, abandoned by everyone, including God. It was a horrific, powerful image. This one was cut off. This one was cursed. This one was forsaken by God. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And so this is the image that Paul calls up. The most terrible part of this curse that we've been talking about is the fact that God forsakes you. God rejects you. God abandons you. So when we fast forward now to Galatians, the Holy Spirit is talking about how you and I are under the curse because we can't keep God's law no matter how hard we try. And therefore we are deserving not only of God's wrath and his condemnation and his judgment, but we are deserving of being forsaken, rejected and abandoned by God. That's what our sin does. But Jesus, verse 13, became that curse for us. Circle those two little words in your Bible in verse 13, the words for us. Never read this verse again without seeing those two little words. The language is startling. It's it's designed to jolt us. Jesus on that cross, on the tree, takes our curse, your curse, my curse on himself. He pays the curse's requirement for us, becoming our curse so that we can be what? Redeemed. Through faith in Jesus, the curse is lifted off of us and it is assumed by Jesus. Though there was no sin in Jesus, though he was was perfect, no curse upon him, he takes our curse. Now, brothers and sisters, when when did that happen? When did that happen? Think about the terrible drama of the crucifixion of Jesus. Do you know when it happened? Do you know when Jesus became your curse, my curse? He's hanging on the tree. He's hanging on the cross. 
It's dark, though it's the middle of the day. And from the tree near the very end of his crucifixion, crucifixion anguish, he cries out. Do you remember what he cries? He cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why does Jesus use that word? Why does he choose that word? Because Jesus was swallowed up by what? Our curse. The separation, the rejection, the abandonment, the curse that was ours, that was due to fall on us because we're the lawbreakers. Jesus takes upon himself. He cries out the moment that he becomes our curse. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The answer is in Deuteronomy. Cursed is everyone who what? Hangs on the tree. He becomes that curse for us. This is 2 Corinthians 5.21. It's just repackaged a little bit differently. And again, this, this verse finds its way into our, our time almost every Sunday. Let's read it aloud together. God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Is that not Galatians 3.13? It's the curse. Jesus becomes the curse for us, our curse, so that we might receive the righteousness of God, that we might be redeemed. Martin Luther 500 years ago said it this way, Our most merciful Father, seeing us to be overwhelmed with the curse of the law, so that we could never be delivered from it by our own power, sent his own son into the world and laid upon him all the sins of all of us. I mean, think about this, church family. Brothers, sisters, think about this with me. The multitude of sins and broken laws and and broken commandments of God that are represented in this room just this room are beyond our comprehending. You know your life and I know my life. I know what my life is. I know that I deserve the curse. I've broken the law of God and so have all of us. Now, what does Jesus do? He takes all of this and then all of Idlewild and all of the United States and all of the world's sin, broken laws, commands, he takes it all upon himself and he dies for it. He becomes that. So now having laid out the necessity of Jesus' cross and the cost to him to be that, that redeeming price for us, Paul shares the result of this for you and me. Look at verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through what? Through faith. The result of faith in Jesus and his curse-lifting cross is blessing. God's blessing. God made a promise to Abraham 
If you recall, in, in the, last, the last time we were together, chapter 3, verse 8, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and then one will come from your nation who will bless the whole earth. And we all know who that was, don't we? It was Jesus. Through Jesus' cross, God kept his promise so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to all of us. And it has. You know, if you, you hang around a church long enough, you begin to hear this word blessing uh, often, don't you? It gets tossed around quite a bit. Oh, that was a blessing. Uh, that song blessed me. I was really blessed by that. You're a blessing to me. Blessing, blessing, blessing. <laughs> we like that word in the church. And it is our word for whatever comes from God's gracious hand. Blessings are life enriching. They allow us to experience the kindness and the love of the Lord in very tangible ways. To say it another way, his blessings supply uh, for us what he wants us to have in this life right now. So, So watch how this works. Jesus became a curse for us so that through faith in him we might be blessed. At the bottom of your note page are just a a tiny sample from the Galatian letter of the ways that that Jesus took the curse so that we might receive the blessing. We won't unpack this, but but maybe you'll come back and and think through this more in your quiet time. He took the curse of, of forsakenness so that we could experience the what? The blessing of relationship. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said those words so that you and I would never have to say those words. He took the curse so that you and I would not have to experience the curse. He took the curse of our condemnation, secondly there, so that we could experience the what? The blessing of justification. To be condemned is to be declared guilty, sentenced to judgment. To be justified, as we've already learned, is to be declared not guilty, fully righteous before a holy God. Our curse of condemnation he took upon himself so that we could be fully justified, blessed by that. He took the curse of our bondage to sin so that we could experience the what? The blessing of his freedom from the power of sin. He was the ransom price, the redemption price that bought us off of the enslaving block. We're free today. You're free. Not just politically free, you're free Look at the bottom of your page, Galatians 5.1. It was for what? Freedom that Christ has set us free. And then Jesus took the curse of our death so that we could experience the blessing of his life. Jesus will say, I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, the thief comes in to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it how? To the full, abundantly. Jesus assumes our curse and our death so that we could have his life. Is that a blessing? And then last there, Jesus took the curse of our sin so that we could experience the blessing of his spirit. God living inside of us. The greatest blessing, the the greatest gift God will ever give to anyone is, is, is himself. And that gift that he has given to us is his spirit. Verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. But we can practically hear Paul 
plea. Oh, my dear, dear Galatian friends. Be done with this, the Judaizers and, and their lies, relying on your own ability to keep God's law. That will bury you under a terrible curse. Be done with that forever. Flee to the cross of Jesus and stay there by faith. Because there is where Jesus became your curse. So that you could have his spirit living inside of you. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything that really matters. Yes? Let's pray. Oh, what do we, what do we say to, great, to such great truth? Oh, how we thank you, Holy Spirit, for Galatians 3.13. Perhaps this morning we didn't realize that such a treasure was waiting for us here in this way. But but you have truly, truly blessed us by reminding us of these things that we, we know, we've, we've heard about them. Uh, we're not completely unaware, but oh, to be, to be able to once again, in a fresh new way, see what you have done for us, Jesus, to see our need for you and then to see what it cost you to meet our need and then to realize what you've given us because you, you paid our debt for us on the cross. One way that we can express our gratitude to you is to simply remember your, your death for us. And so uh, would you be pleased, Lord, to, to just uh, allow us to, to share a sweet moment of, of around the table of remembrance, to think about your body, which bore our curse, to think about your blood, which covered the penalty of our sin, and to do that with a, with a grateful heart. This is your time. We're glad we get to share it with you. In Jesus' name, amen.